I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Exodus chapters 13 through 15. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. In Exodus chapter 13, after all of the confrontations with Pharaoh, we're going to see in today's reading that it's finally time for the Israelites to leave. But God set some worship issues in order first, and that's in Exodus chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place, no leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out, in the month of Abib, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord." Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand, and as a memorial between your eyes, that the Lord's law may be in your mouth, for with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt." You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that opened the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck and all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be, when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? That you shall say to him, By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Now, you may think that the number one interest is to put some distance between the Hebrews and Egypt. Well, that's not as important as establishing some ground rules for worship. So after leaving Egypt, but before crossing the Red Sea... God establishes some principles of service to God. Two issues here, proper observance of the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the consecration of the firstborn. When you're in a hurry, there's no time for the bread to rise. The Hebrews would commemorate this exodus occasion throughout their history 
by eating unleavened bread for seven days immediately following the Passover meal. Now, if you'd like to know the difference between the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, then there's a link right here in the written notes, or you can look at the topic section of BibleTrack.org. Look at the feast or the festivals. Notice here verses 9 and 16 in this passage regarding the purpose of eating unleavened bread. Verse 9 it says, It shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth, for with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. Now verse 16 says, It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Later, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, we see a similar reference to, and I quote, a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now, it's because of Deuteronomy 6, verse 8, that the observant Jews down through the centuries all the way to today, they've worn a leather wallet called a tefillin on the arm and head that contained these prayers. It's also known as a phylactery. The firstborn male from each Hebrew human and animal, was to be consecrated before the Lord for service. Later on in Numbers chapter 3, we'll see that God has Moses substitute the whole tribe of Levi in place of the firstborn for the purpose of this type of ceremonial service before the Lord. This Levite substitution as the firstborn of Israel was as a result of the blessing in Exodus chapter 32, verse 29. At the Exodus, this consecration gesture even affected the firstborn of their animals. These animals had to be sacrificed. Well, donkeys got a break. They're unclean. They had to have a sacrifice of a clean animal made in their place. According to verses 14 through 16, this consecration of the firstborn is to be a sign. A sign of the fact that God spared the firstborn of Israel while slaying the firstborn of the Egyptians. All of these things were instituted to help Israel remember who they were and from where they came. One more thing about the firstborn, verse 2 indicates that we're talking about those who are first out of the womb, not the firstborn of the father. Incidentally, the month of Abib, that's the same as the month of Nisan. That's the first month of the Hebrew calendar year after the Exodus. Abib is actually a description of the month, meaning young ear of barley or other grain. That was the month their crops began to bloom, and it corresponds to our March-April time frame. The Old Testament uses Abib before the Babylonian captivity, and Nisan afterward. If you'd like more information on the Hebrew calendar and the festivals, look under the topic section of BibleTrack.org, or you can click the link if you look into the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today. In Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 through 20, here's an issue of the direction. They took when they left Egypt. Verse 17. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took the journey from Succoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. 
Well, right up the coast of the Mediterranean Sea was a trade route that passed next to Canaan. You'll recall that their famous ancestor Joseph had been carried into Egyptian captivity by that very same route. As a matter of fact, I've supplied a map on the written notes for today's reading, and you can look at it there. As a matter of fact, the distance from Succoth to Hebron in Canaan was only 200 miles or so. I don't know exactly how long it would take to move 2 million people with livestock and possessions 200 miles, but it does seem logical that you'd take the shortest route, but not so. These Hebrews just aren't ready to face the current hostile inhabitants of Canaan. Therefore, verses 17 and 18 tell us that God brought them southeast, rather than northeast, right down to the shores of the Red Sea. Why? Well, after they cross the Red Sea, God will shut the door behind them when the waters close, so they'll not be able to return back to Egypt. Now, here is a sign that they have no intentions of going back. They're carrying some pretty old bones with them in verse 19. Those are the bones of Joseph. That, by the way, is a fulfillment of a promise made back in Genesis chapter 50, verse 25. Here's what it says there. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. After their Canaan conquest, they deposit those bones in a grave in Shechem. That takes place in Joshua chapter 24, verse 32. Now, if you're looking at the map on the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today, you'll notice that the point at which they probably crossed the Red Sea is identified there. Since that time, the Red Sea has receded, and many maps today show only dry land at that point. Again, let me emphasize, God took them across the Red Sea, and he closed it behind them so that they could not return. The stay in the wilderness was planned by God for nation training, character building, if you will. Now, as for the length of the stay, well, that's different. Israel was in that wilderness for 40 years, and that was because they needed the extra training. That lengthening of time in the wilderness became necessary because of a rebellion that took place in Numbers chapter 14. But the real story is quite clear regarding why Israel went southeast instead of northeast. Actually, they were not headed for Canaan at all. Well, not yet. They're headed for Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai. That's close to where Moses' father-in-law lived in Midian. That's also the place where Moses saw the burning bush and heard God speak to him while he was watching Jethro's sheep. On that occasion, God had spoken to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, and here's what he said. I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So you see, it's not time to go to Canaan yet. Need some Hebrew training first. And that training is to take place at Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai, which is near Midian. By the way, there was a strange sight over Israel, and we're going to read about that in verses 21 and 22. Verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. What's that big column of vapor in front of Israel? And look, it becomes a column of fire at night. Well, that, by the way, that was the Hebrew compass. Just follow that pillar. 
As a matter of fact, the fiery pillar at night served as headlights for their journey. And we commonly refer to this pillar as the Shekinah glory. There's an article under the topic section of BibleTrack.org, which is also on this page, entitled The Shekinah Glory. Now let's take note of something. God is leading them on the journey by this pillar, and it led them south, farther away from Canaan. So they're moving farther away from their eventual destination as they follow God's lead. But, don't misunderstand, they're not lost. Call them whatever else you want, but don't call them lost. God's leading these Hebrews into a place where they can be prepared to be victorious when they finally do reach Canaan. They're headed for Mount Horeb, also known as Sinai, near Midian. This is a great lesson for believers today regarding God's will. Many times, God has to train us before He can use us properly. God's timetable, by the way, is not necessarily compatible with our own timetable. Just as with the Hebrews, God knows best. But Pharaoh, well, he's not done yet. Let's read Exodus chapter 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi-Hahirath, between Migdal and the sea. Opposite Baal-Zephon, you shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariots and took his people with him. Also he took six hundred choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea beside Pi-Hahirath before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh his chariots, and his horsemen. 
And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians and on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Well, the Hebrews still need a Pharaoh-type lesson on God's ability to provide. And here it is in verse 4. God says, Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Oh no, not again. Hasn't the old man had enough? According to verses 3-5, through five, Pharaoh was probably thinking, Silly Hebrews, look at them already hemmed in by the wilderness and the sea. Here he comes in hot pursuit, followed by 600 chariots. This man means business. No big deal for the Hebrews, though. Right? Well, look at verse 10. It says, So they, the Hebrews, were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, after all the miracles that had served to win their release, and they're still afraid? I mean, say it ain't so. But just look at verses 11 and 12, where the Hebrews turn loose on Moses now. And they say, in essence, look what you've gotten us into. They've already forgotten how miserable they were in Egypt. Now it's all Moses' fault. Then a miracle. The pillar, that Shekinah glory we talked about, moves from before them to behind them and posts itself between the armies of Pharaoh and the Hebrews. Moses tells them that this is the last time they're going to see the Egyptians. But wait, there's more. The Red Sea parts that night, using the rod of Moses as an instrument, providing dry land across the Red Sea. That's right. No boots needed here. The land is dry. Across the seabed, the Hebrews go. 
Well, the Egyptians, that's a different story. First of all, verse 19 tells us that the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, the Hebrew compass and more, by the way, it blocked the way between the Egyptians and the Hebrews that prevented their pursuit until after all the Israelites had passed over the Red Sea. Then, as the Egyptians pursue the Hebrews across the dry Red Sea, their chariot wheels fall off, of all things. That's in verse 25. And then the sea closes in on top of them at the command of Moses. They all die. Why did this happen? Well, look at verse 31. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. It is just another of God's ways of showing the Hebrews his ability to deliver. It also, by the way, served as a demonstration, we see in verse 16, that God was using Moses as his instrument of leadership. Well, in chapter 15, we see that sometimes only a song will do. Verse 1, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He's my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath that consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall rise forever and ever, for the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea." Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Well, sometimes, sometimes you just got to sing. That's right. Everyone breaks out in song. Miriam, who was the sister of Moses and Aaron, 
she with the other women chime in to sing about God's provision. You know how country music songs tell a story? Well, this was one of those story songs. We actually don't know who authored the song. Verse 15 says, Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. According to the lyrics, they obviously don't think they're lost. Don't think they're going the wrong direction. They are going in the wrong direction, not headed toward Canaan at all, but they're not lost. Notice the mention of their destination. It says Philistia. And then we're also given the route that they'll be taken to get there, and that's through Edom and then Moab. Look at the map and you'll see. Southeast, then east, then north, and then back over west into Canaan. The song seems to reflect an anticipated journey to Mount Horeb, also known as Sinai, then across the Jordan River, and then northward along the east side of the Jordan River before crossing back over the Jordan into Canaan. Now, it's worth noting here that this route to Canaan, the one depicted in the song, is the same route that they followed in Genesis chapter 50 when Joseph took Jacob back to Canaan for burial. That route is about 75 miles farther than the direct route up the coast. By the way, that's the route they would eventually take back to Canaan 40 years later. These complaining Hebrews, we see them clearly in chapter 15, beginning with verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statue and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them, and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees, so they camped there by the waters." Moses, we have a crisis. The people are thirsty and the water here is nasty tasting. Now, these folks have seen some incredible miracles surrounding their release from Egypt. They'll take this little water supply problem in stride, right? <laughs> Wrong. Look at verse 24. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Do you really think this ragtag bunch of rebellious Hebrews are ready to conquer Canaan? Well, God provides miraculously using his servant Moses, and Moses marks this occasion in verse 25 with a statute and an ordinance. That's a nice guarantee in verse 26. It says, And said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Was that simple enough? Well, incidentally, this crisis takes place at Marah, and we find that this event isn't forgotten and is undoubtedly remembered as one of the top ten rebellions of Israel when we get over to Numbers chapter 14, verse 22. Now, if you're interested in the whole 40-year trip from Egypt to Canaan, then look at the notes on Numbers chapter 33 for all those details. 
This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton.